0: God bless you guys. We love you. Hey, for about as long as I can remember, because uh, because I've been I've been around church uh, a long time. I've basically agreed that God wants. I mean, God wants me to love Him and to love people. All right. Uh, I'm 53 years old, and I'm still learning to love God. So, like Teresa of Avila. 16th century. She said this, she said, I don't love God. Would you mind just putting that slide up for us, please, Jaden? Is that okay? Thank you. I don't love God, she said. I don't even want to love God, but I want to want to love God. Honest prayer. So, I'm working on loving God. Uh, And then so that's what I'm doing. Like that, that, That's my prayer. It's a good one. But then when it comes to loving people, um, I've never had too much trouble loving the people I like when I like them. Like most of the time, my wife. Um, and um, she, I, I, I don't want to embarrass Deb, but she did tell me the other day that she didn't like me. you Deb. Yep, see? She told me, "I love you even though I don't like you at the moment." That's what she told me. Anyway, it's, this is about me, not her. <laughs> um, so my wife, my kids, my mates, my friends. But I've never been so good at loving the people who don't treat me so well, or the ones that just annoy me or drain me. Or push my buttons and the people who see things differently to me or have different views or values or perspectives to me and you realize that if you're one of those people that makes you wrong if you're wrong I thought you'd laugh when I said that if you think differently to me you're wrong automatically It's not funny? (laughs) He was just looking at me with a... All right, well, I was trying to be funny. If you're wrong, if, if you're different, if you've got a different value or view or perspective to me, then you are wrong. And that's sarcastic. Not really. See, I'm very wary of these words. Jesus said this. He said, if you love only those who love you, what good is that? Um, Even corrupt, corrupt tax collectors do that. And he said, if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. Jeff, you don't, you don't know. That's what you're saying. You, Jeff, you don't know. Well, no, I, I don't know. But I do know how it feels for me. And I I I know it much, much better than I wish I did. You you would, wouldn't you, agree with Henry Nguyen when he laments that community, he says, that is a place where the person you least want to to live with always lives you find so you know you know it well and church 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 family church community is just as ripe for a lack of love as anywhere is maybe even more it hurts this lovelessness does and and you don't need me to tell you that oh if it's raw I only need to mention it and you tear up Or it keeps you awake for long nights of anger or regret or anxiety. Or it sickens you to the stomach, doesn't it? It sickens you to the stomach. It's aged you overnight. So hold on. You probably know, you you know that everything matters to God. But if it's that close to your heart, this idea of loving the people who you don't really like, Trying to work out how, if it's that close to your heart, can you imagine how close it is to God's? So, are there groups or causes or movements or places or people that you're struggling to love? Someone you're not loving too readily? (laughs) Yeah, and you say, oh, yeah, I've got good reason not to love him because he hurt me she violated my trust of course i don't love her he told lies about you she didn't show you that she cared when you needed her to the most they 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 made a decision that you didn't agree with or they took too long to make it or they made it too quickly you were just getting excited about serving on a team here in the church weren't you but he's on the team. And he drove you crazy no matter how hard you tried, so you didn't last so long doing it. And you know what this is like, don't you? I'm not, I'm not, we're not talking rocket science here. I know you're smiling now. You're desperately, desperately not wanting to give anything away, especially not the annoying person. Just, listen, just do this. Just fold your arms and just, just glance out of the corner of your eyes down the road. And then glance the other way. The annoying person who's sitting right there. And definitely not the guy who's sitting just behind you. Just turn around and look who's behind you. Anyone find anyone annoying? Come on, someone... You found, someone here found someone who's really annoying, didn't they? And he's, whoa, man, he's sitting right behind me today. <laughs> wow. Hey, just as we get into this today, I, was, I was just wanted to ask you, would you just, just don't say anything, whatever you do. Don't, don't say it out loud. But just picture in your mind's eye, just picture one, just think of one person. And you just don't like them. They annoy you. Maybe they're a bit smelly. They push your buttons. They drain you. Just think of that one. But don't, don't say their name. Just think of them, alright? And, and get a picture of them in your mind. Close your eyes. Think of this person, right? And all the while. While you're like Teresa Rivelli, you don't even you don't even want to love God, but you want to want to love him. And you look like this morning, like you're full of love, but the truth is you're like me, and you're actually not. Not yet, anyway. Not like this. Look at look at this. This is a young couple. Let's look at the young couple. who could do with a best friend like that yeah loving God loving people see we're desperate for good news here at Mill Park Baptist Church aren't we and we know we know we know that we need more of Jesus grasping more of his way of living and loving so that's why for today and the next six Sundays after this we're we're doing mud Sticks and stones here. Stories Jesus told. We want to spend a few weeks going straight to the guy, straight to the guy, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. And the idea is to get some fuel from some of the stories that he told where he just took these simple everyday truths and used them to illustrate profound, life-changing truths. Now have a look this morning, have a listen, see how this, this grabs your life, yeah? With, this morning, with, with that annoying person, the one you got in your mind's eye right now, the one who pushes your buttons and tests your patience. The guy who makes you think, you know, that you'll sit on the other side of church, maybe even go to another church. The girl who pushes you over the edge and she seems oblivious to it. Here's a story Jesus told this morning. It's in Luke chapter 10. If you've got your Bible and you want to turn, it's great. If not, follow on the screen. Um, here's the background of the story, right? One day, an expert in religious law, we're going to call him the expert today. One day, a relig- an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Here's the question. He said, Teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God, see the quotation marks, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. Here's the truth, friends. Um, Jesus just said, love God and love not just people. Love God, love all people, it's that simple. The pain in the butt, the relentless critic, the always got another agenda the manipulator, the nothing's ever good enough. God himself, the God that you don't even want to love, but you want to want to love him. Here's the background of the stories. This is one of the best stories ever told. All right, look at the background. Firstly, the expert asks a question of Jesus. He's an expert in the law. That means he's a Jew. He knows the law, or it was called the Torah, and he knows it back to front. You know, it's got 613 rules and regulations, and he knows them inside out. He's memorized them, and he spends lots of time not just knowing them, but dissecting them and interpreting them. His religion, this man's religion, centers around the law. For him, getting hold of eternal life, nuts, Nuts and bolts, getting into heaven. It's all about obeying the intricacies of the law. So when we keep rules, generally it makes us feel pretty good about ourselves. So his motive for talking to Jesus, it says it there, is because he wants to test him. He's a schemer. So he stands up. That's a social courtesy and a greeting of respect. And he goes further. He calls Jesus teacher. He's making it look like he defers to Jesus' wisdom. And he really does want to know the answer to, Jesus, to his question. When all along, he's actually trying to trip Jesus up. He says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? In other words, Jesus, what do you need me to do so I can go to heaven? Now I'm pretty sure I know what he expected from Jesus and and I'm fairly sure that all the other people crowded around listening expected the same thing. A a big long list from Jesus of of to-dos. Rules and regulations and rituals to observe and people to look after. And because this man's an expert in the law, he's all set to debate Jesus about what he says as to what should be. Or shouldn't be on the list. So then he asks Jesus a question. Jesus asks him a question. In verse 26. He doesn't, he doesn't reply. He doesn't answer. He just asks him a question. Uh, Jesus, what do I have to do to get to heaven? Mm. Good question, Jesus says. What do you think? How do you read it? Straight away, Jesus sends this lawyer back to the law and then he asks the man so what is the law and how do you read it in other words tell me what the law says and explain to me how you think it applies he's asking the expert to justify his opinion well so then the expert answers Jesus In verse 27, he he quotes it in no time because he knows it. References from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, which says, Love God, and then also Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, which says, Love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. And that was part of the law that this man already knew. Here's what I think, Jesus I'd say, if I summed up all the law, I would say, If you're loving God, With all your heart, that's your emotion. With all your soul, that's your consciousness. With all your strength, that's your drive and your ambition. With all your mind, that's your intelligence and your cognitive abilities. I'd say that if you're loving God like that, and if you're loving your neighbor just like you love yourself, I'd say you're doing all right. That's his interpretation. And then Jesus answers him as he says, you got it. It's not sarcastic. He means it. You're right. Jesus agrees that that's the summary of the whole law. Here it is. Love God. Love all people. It's that simple. Now when Jesus agrees with the lawyer here, they're talking together, listen carefully to this, about a love for God that is pervasive. It's one that drastically and, and unreservedly influences every area of life. It's one that impinges on decisions and priorities and lifestyle choices. And then it's not just loving God, but it's loving my neighbor as I love myself. Looking after my neighbor the way I look after myself. Treating my neighbor the way that I would want to be treated. Giving my neighbor the benefits and advantages that I would want people to give me. Now, if you want to practice, you don't have to, but if you want to practice, just turn to the person sitting beside you and say, hello, neighbor. Hello, neighbor. There's your neighbor, all right? Yep, that's it, says Jesus. And then he looks at the expert, the lawyer, and I can imagine him pausing and... Clearing his throat and gazing into the expert's eyes. And then he talks and he says, just quietly, he says, you do this and you'll live. Love God, love all people. It's that simple. When the lawyer asked the question of Jesus, we don't pick all of this up in the English language. It's written in ancient Koine Greek. You know what? He actually used the past tense. So what he asks Jesus is, what did i need to do to receive eternal life past tense and and, and, that, and that's that's a finite action all right so what did i need? well guess what when jesus answers him he answers him not in the past tense but in the present tense he says do this It's an instruction in the Greek language. It's in the present tense. And that means that Jesus is talking not about some finite past completed action. He's talking about an ongoing, repeated, habitual action. Do this and keep on doing it. You look at the Syriac and the Arabic versions of this story and they'll translate it like this. They'll say, do this and you are living Present reality okay so read on now now you get to see the story here's the story <laughs> stories Jesus told mud sticks and stones here's the story um, the man wanted to justify his actions so he asked Jesus and who is my neighbor he disagreed with Jesus that he needed to love his neighbor so now he's asking well well who do you want me to love then Jesus replied with an illustration. Here's the story Jesus told. Come devour it with me, friends, because this, this story, like it's, it's awesome. It's all about loving God and loving people. It's especially about loving the annoyance, the arguer, the manipulator, the button pusher, the get me out of here. It's especially about that. Jewish man, he says, was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. You know this story, don't you? Parable of the Good Samaritan. They stripped him of his clothes and money. They beat him up. They left him half dead beside the road. By chance, then a Jewish priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Then a temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. And then a despised Samaritan, someone from Samaria, came along. And when he saw the man, he felt deep pity. Kneeling beside him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with medicine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn. Where he took care of him the next day he handed the innkeeper two pieces of silver and told him to take care of the man if if his bill runs higher than that he said i'll pay the difference the next time i'm here here's the story now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits jesus asked the man replied well The one who showed him mercy, and Jesus said, "Yes." Now, go and do the same. See, it's a similar structure here. You see, the expert asks a question of Jesus. Verse twenty-nine. He wants to justify himself, so he wants to have a clean conscience. He's just like me. Like if I'm sitting here now, if I'm one of you guys, and I'm sitting here now. and if I'm feeling in any way like, man, my love doesn't measure up, well, like I've got to find a way to justify that. Because the human heart can't live in contradiction too long. So we've got to find a way to either justify it or rationalize it or explain it away. And we're really, like, I don't know about you, but I'm really good at doing that. And like, I mean, I've, I've, I've spent a lot of years studying in Bible college. i got two different degrees from Bible college. So i like, I. I can find a way, I, honestly, I can find a way to theologically justify just about anything, I think. He wants to justify himself. He just heard Jesus say, listen to this. He just heard Jesus say, you did too love God with everything you've got, with everything that you are, with everything that you ever hope to be. And then when you're doing that, love your neighbor. As yourself and this expert is realizing like it's not it's not glossing over him he's realizing it's a tall tall order and he doesn't think he can measure up and neither do I by the way so he's trying to justify himself he's squirming wriggling feeling all uncomfortable because Jesus has told him something he doesn't like Jesus, you say that I have to love God with everything I've got. Okay, I accept that. I mean, I'll pray Teresa of Avila's prayer. But my neighbour, just help me out here. Throw me a bone. Who's my neighbour? Who do you want me to love? Now, he thinks he knows what Jesus will say. And so do all the listeners, everyone else who's listening to this encounter between the two. Look back in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 17 and 18. You'll see more about these people who, who they thought their neighbors were. He's talking to a Jewish man. Jewish people thought that their neighbors were other Jews. Says it in Leviticus, in the Old Testament law. Fellow countrymen. Fellow citizens. Definitely not Gentiles. Gentiles are non-Jews. Not Gentiles. And you see, I like I just told you at the start, I got my neighbours too. I got my friends. My wife, my kids, my mates. And usually, my church family, love God, love all people. It's that simple. Well, he asked that question of Jesus, who's my neighbor? Jesus asks him a question. And now... Here's where Jesus tells the story. We usually call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. A Jewish man, he's taking, it's a 27-kilometer journey, downhill from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a little rocky, winding desert road, often surrounded by caves, and the caves make really good hideouts for bandits. It was notoriously dangerous then, and it actually still was, even as recently as the 19th century robbers and thieves in the area were a constant threat now the robbers it's plural they get him highwaymen bandits they might even be political zealots or what we would call terrorists they beat him they strip him naked and they leave him did you see the quote half dead half dead that's an equivalent for saying that he's next to death He's unconscious and he's fighting for his life if he doesn't get help he'll die that's what it means when it says he's half dead now in the Middle Eastern world there were numerous ethnic religious communities and they used an amazing number of languages and dialects so how would people identify other people first quite easily by the way they spoke secondly by the way they dressed so this man is left unconscious and near dead he can't talk and he is stripped naked he's got no clothes whether he's a Jew or not now he is just a person in need and the first person who comes along with an opportunity to help him is a priest priests have a high class standing in this world they're well off and it goes without saying that the priest is riding he's probably riding a donkey he's coming from Jerusalem so he's been there to do his two weeks of service in the temple which all priests had to do regularly and let me actually read this to you this from the book of Sirach which is part of the religious literature Of this priest's world it's not in the Bible but it's part of the religious literature that was around right there it'll give you great insight into the priest's thought here's what it says if you do a good turn know for whom you are doing it and your good deeds will not go to waste do good to a devout man and you will receive a reward if not from him then certainly from the Most High give to a devout man do not go to the help of a sinner Do good to a humble man, give nothing to a godless one, refuse him bread, do not give him any, it might make him stronger than you are, then you would be repaid evil twice over for all the good you had done to him. For the most high himself detests sinners and will repay the wicked with a vengeance. Give to the good man and do not go to the help of a sinner. That's what's in this priest's mind. That's the popular thinking. And remember the man, like he's naked and unconscious. He looks like he's dead. And this man's a priest. He's carefully controlled by rituals of purity, so he can't he can't go near or touch a dead body anyway. Now, once the priest disappears around the next bend in the road, a temple assistant or a priest's assistant, he's next to come along. Now, surely travelers in this environment, they're they're extremely interested in who else is on the road. Their lives can depend on it. So Middle Eastern peasants, when they hear this story, they just assume that the Levite or the temple assistant, he knows the priest is ahead of him. He knows the priest has been and gone. And because he's a priest's assistant, he's not bound by quite as many regulations as the priest is. You look at the language, when he came to the place and saw him and actually crosses over a little bit, he takes a closer look than the priest did. Like he might even have prodded the body. In any case, he comes close enough for us to conclude that he's not so worried about defiling himself. And he toys with the idea of stopping to help, but he doesn't. If the priest didn't do anything, why should I? It's just a story, remember. Just a story. But as Jesus has told it, the tensions. Really built. All the listeners know what to expect now when he's telling that story because the priest didn't stop and the Levite didn't stop. So the next guy along the road, you watch, he's going to be a Jewish layman and he'll stop. But as these next few words roll off Jesus' tongue, shock sense in like a Samaritan, a hated, despised man from Samaria for a Jew for a Jew listen in no one no one was more despised than a Samaritan despicable people they even called and I quote despised schismatics end quote now what's Jesus playing there? I mean it's just a story he's just telling a story like he could have told a story about a noble Jew who helped a hated Samaritan couldn't he yeah like that'd be good that would have been absorbed more easily than this one. But the, the, the hated Samaritan, the way that Jesus tells the story, is actually the hero. And Jesus is putting himself in pretty dangerous territory just, just by telling the story. Like can you imagine, who would you, would you today go into the Gaza Strip and just tell a story on the street about a noble Israeli, To a group of Palestinians? Would you? Of course not. This low-life Samaritan comes along the road. He's like he's a despised schismatic. He's hated. And it says that he takes pity on the wounded man. You know, takes pity. The Greek word esplanisthe. And it's talking about the bowel, the intestine. The innards. He feels so much pity for this guy that it affects him physically. You ever had the the, the saying of saying that you feel sick in the stomach over something that distresses you? That's what happens here. It's the deepest kind of compassion. S-blank-niste. He kneels down beside the man and he starts helping. He puts, uh, other versions of tea, he puts oil that, that soothes the wound and wine that disinfects it. He puts that on the man's wounds. And then he bandages him up. Now, like, like, I don't think he was carrying a first aid kit, you know, like with nice fresh bandages in it. What do you reckon he uses for bandages? Most likely he rips up his own head cloth. Or his own linen undergarment and you stop there for a second because he's already exposing himself to significant danger the robbers could still well be nearby but more directly like he's a Samaritan and if and when this man regains consciousness this Samaritan can easily and probably will be insulted for his kindness you know why? Like oil and wine are forbidden objects if they come from a Samaritan. It will not be the least bit out of the ordinary if this man regains consciousness and then abuses the Samaritan. I've seen that happen, you know, as a police officer. I've seen that happen with, with people who are all but dead from a drug overdose. They look like they're dead. The ambulance attends, they, they administer what's called Narcane to them and sometimes and usually if that works it can have a really dramatic effect and it can actually wake them up like nothing happened. Then they get up and they want to kill the ambulance officer who just saved their life. I've seen it happen you know many many times. The Samaritan puts this man on his own riding animal and then he leads the animal with the wounded, unconscious, naked man on it to an inn. There's high significance in that act too because even today, a young man leading a donkey with a tourist on it will refuse to get on and ride with him because the the donkey can carry them both but it's considered presumptuous and arrogant to do that. This Samaritan man is carrying out, it's a sacrificial act of service. He's exposing himself to even more danger now too because it's, it's, it's normal, it's fully acceptable for this wounded man's family or extended relatives or even his friends to retaliate violently against his attacker. The actual assailant is sought out but if he can't be found, then his family or his friends will be punished. It's blood revenge. One night in the Philippines a few years ago, we're driving along, it's dark, it's, it's late at night, we're coming down the, the, the road beside Valley Golf there in, in, in Quatro, and, and here on the road, there's a motorcycle lying on the road, there's a man lying on the road, and then there's a lady looking pretty distressed, and, and a, a rooster, <laughs> a rooster walking around as well, and, and there's a little baby. We stop, there's been an accident. This, 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 it's, it's really common in the Philippines. You, you'll see people riding motorcycle with their whole family on it, you know. And generally speaking, then in this situation, no different. The man who's riding the motorcycle, he's got the helmet on, not the wife or the baby. Um, and he's got his prized rooster for the cockfighting there with him. Turns out he's drunk. He's smashed his motorcycle. And he's flat out unconscious on the road. Uh, Deb's mum's a nurse, she's there with us, and I'm there. And, uh, and, and we're trying to, like at first, like I couldn't even find a pulse on this guy. And we eventually, you know, we eventually, and I'm talking to him, can you hear me, can you He won't, he won't wake up and I'm pinching his earlobe, trying to get him to respond and do all that sort of stuff. Can't get any response out of him. And eventually then someone else pulls up, because we're first in the sense, someone else pulls up, and they start speaking to this man in Tagalog, and he starts to respond then, you know. We call our friend, a missionary who's nearby, he comes down. Um, this is Jeff Long. You know, you, you, lots of you guys know Jeff Long. Jeff Long comes down. Um, he looks around quickly and then they've called the security guards to come and help him. He said, hey, quick, we've got to go. We've got to go. And I'm like, why? He said, because if you stay here now, people are going to turn up and they're going to blame you for this accident. They, like, they want you actually paying the hospital bills. And I said, but I didn't. I, I just stopped to help. I know you did, but we've got to get out of here. Got to get out of here now. It's like that. We don't know of any inn that's in the middle of the desert the natural assumption, the assumption is that the inn is down the hill in Jericho and just by having his man this man on his donkey and taking him into town the Samaritan is going to be identified and for a bunch of relatives who can't find the attacker who better to go after to seek out and to kill and to seek compensation from than the dirty rotten Samaritan who brought him into town Our equivalent would be, you imagine an Aboriginal man walking into a Sydney colony in 1795 with a badly beaten English soldier on his horse. Who's going to get in trouble. You'd think that the very best thing this Samaritan would do would be to quickly get this guy in the inn, get him in there, (laughs) jump on his donkey and get out of there straight away. He stays the night to care for him. And then he pays two days wages. That's enough for 24 days worth of room and board. And then he promises if the tab go, if he uses the (laughs) minibar, I'll pay next time I come back. Wounded man has nothing left. He's going to be seen and treated as a debtor if he tries to leave the inn without paying. So so the unknown Samaritan stranger, in spite of the cost to him in time, in effort, in money, and in personal danger, actually freely demonstrates his unexpected love for him. You know what? There's the story. Jesus was a lot better storyteller than I am. He always got people listening. He always got them responding. And now there's several faces white with horror in the audience for Jesus when he gently says to the lawyer it's in verse 36 which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers remember the person you got in your mind's eye the annoyer the manipulator the group the decision maker the team When Jesus said, which of you, these three, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? It's probably not the most adequate translation of the Greek. We would be better to translate it from the Greek language as as Jesus saying, listen carefully. Which of these three do you think became a neighbor to the man? Which one became a neighbor? you notice what he's done the lawyer asked him who is my neighbor and now jesus changes it ever so slightly so he's asking the man to whom must you become a neighbor the expert answers jesus now and he says well because he can't even bring himself to say the samaritan despised man he just says the one who had mercy on him and Jesus answer to the expert you got it says Jesus you're right you go and do likewise it's an instruction again it's in the present tense off you go and don't stop keep on going and keep on doing exactly the same keep on becoming a neighbor to anyone in need doesn't matter who it is no barriers no limitations extend yourself Give, give, give. Sacrifice, take risks, spend money, spend time. Do whatever you've got to do to serve your neighbor. And don't expect anything in return. Just show love. Love God, love all people. It is that simple. What's your reaction to that? Do you you want to love God so much that it it fully takes over your life? Every minute aspect of your life? Do um, Do you want to love Him so deeply that it might mean the most incredible and costly sacrifices on your behalf? And do you want to love your neighbor? Not just the person that you thought about at the start, but all your other neighbors as well. Do, do you want to love your neighbor? And you know now that that, that means anyone at all. You want to love your neighbor with as much dignity and respect as you love yourself. That's got a Here's two really simple... These are the simplest of solutions um, and ideas for you. What about if you say, okay, well, I'll pray Teresa's prayer. I'll just pray that I'll be I'll be honest with God and I'll say, God, I want to love you. Um, would you help me to love you? And here's a really really practical one. Um, what about if you just decided to say, I will do one thing at a time for someone I don't like? Now, if you, if you get a nice, kind act done to you this week, like, you know, by someone, someone from this church family does something nice for you, like, let's not jump to conclusions, all right? Oh, I'm obviously the person that he thought about on Sunday who he doesn't like. That's why he's doing this for me. Like, let's not do that. Let's give everyone the benefit of the doubt, right? What if you just do one thing at a time? Now, friends, um, you know, like... And why all this? Like, why does Jesus even tell a story like this? You know, it it tells us, it's in Romans chapter 5. It says that, that very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person. For a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's God's love let's pray together let's pray Lord Jesus thank you so much for thanks for for letting us know your story here and we're asking you and trusting you today that it will change our lives it'll change us as a church family those who visit us from other churches this morning that, that, that it will change their lives and change their church family too Lord we want that please community of people who love way that you ask us to love? Who are we going to become a neighbor to? To love God and to love all people. It's that simple. Thank you, Jesus.